The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the season finale of The Waking Dream, a poppychuloradio.com original series. Poppychulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, September 5th, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion of Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my co-hosts, Priscilla Obregon. Hey, everybody. And Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome back, listeners. Dream a little dream with us. Woo! So let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 8, which was titled Lost Hearts and debuted August 5th, 2022 via Netflix. Here's the official synopsis. As the dream vortex grows more powerful and the walls between the realms weaken, Rose must make a difficult choice. Morpheus confronts the Corinthian. And on a side note, I just want to share something funny that was very Sandman-related that happened when I rearranged my apartment this weekend, you two. So we've had this pile of books that included all of my Sandman comics, which I'm going to read them again from start to finish now. But I cleared off my entertainment center. We have one of those cube things, and we're using it as a bookshelf. And as I was doing it, I put all my comics in one shelf and all my paperbacks somewhere else. And then when I was done, I had this one final book, and I couldn't figure out where to put it. And then I put it standing up like you would see at the library or at a bookstore. And as soon as I did it, I realized that subconsciously, in front of my Sandman comics, I had put Go the Fuck to Sleep. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So maybe I was being, you know, subliminally controlled by Morpheus. I don't know. Maybe. You never know. Maybe. That's hilarious. (laughs) Or your subconscious was like, this is going to be funny. Right. (laughs) And then I showed both the boyfriends and it took them a minute and they're like, that's actually pretty clever. You didn't do that intentionally. And I was like, I really wish I'd been smart enough to do it intentionally. (laughs) All right. Anecdotes out of the way. It is time to dive into the discussion of the ultimate finale, Lost Hearts. So as we left off in episode nine, the Corinthian had saved Rose and Jed from Funland, which was definitely not a fun place to be. And we begin with the Corinthian, Rose, and Jed in the hotel room, and they're kind of having a conversation, and the realization that the Corinthian knows Morpheus comes into play, and Rose is like, Jed, go entertain yourself over there. The adults have to talk. And as they're talking, the Corinthian is trying to convince Rose to be on his side because Morpheus will kill the both of them when he finds them. And this shocks Rose because she's like, he's going to kill me? What? And the Corinthian kind of lets the cat out of the bag that he's going to kill both of us because you are powerful and he doesn't like that. Obviously, the Corinthian doesn't give her like a full dissertation, but he tells her that I want to be free. If you come with me, I'll take you to a land of pure nightmarish imagination. We'll have fun. 
she's very unsure. She's wary because she did just watch him stab this guy in the hallway. And the Corinthian's like, cool, I get it. I got to go do my thing. I'll be back in an hour. And she's like, I'm going to take Jed and go. And the Corinthian does this nice little ploy where he's like, you know, you could. But there are a lot of serial killers at this hotel right now. And you got Morpheus looking for you. And this might not be the safest time for you to be walking around. But I get it. You do you, boo-boo. Here's my room key to show you that I do not want to kill you. And when I come back, I'm going to knock on the door. Hopefully you'll be here. But if not, it's cool. And so he goes down to do his thing. And the keynote speech, can I just say, the Corinthian is a very good public speaker. He's got all of his serial friends enraptured. And he starts talking about their art and their work. And he has them kind of under his thumb. And then Morpheus shows up. Morpheus shows up and he and the Corinthian share a glance. And then Morpheus starts to point out, like, I'm so disappointed in you. You're not what I intended you to be. And the Corinthian's like, I'm just trying to be me. I'm trying to live my best, like, nightmare serial killer life. And you won't let me. And it's a very tense and terse verbal confrontation and they get close and the Corinthian starts to reveal that like all I ever wanted to do was be free and you wouldn't let me and Morpheus like you can't be free I created you to do something and the Corinthian's like I'm not going to go back to dreamland without a fight and Morpheus says I don't plan on letting you go back to dreamland and you know Morpheus is like you're not going to be able to hurt me and the Corinthian's like all right maybe maybe not but let's go at it and find out. And as they start to go at it, the Corinthian stabs Morpheus through the hand and Morpheus is wounded. Dun, dun, dun. He's very shocked. How is this possible? How did you hurt me? And the Corinthian reveals that Rose's power is becoming so great that she's starting to become more powerful than maybe Morpheus himself. And because she is asleep and the Corinthian has some connections and influence, he is able to physically hurt Morpheus. But he does need to keep her asleep to be able to keep this ability to hurt Morpheus. So we're kind of at a stalemate and things are about to happen. So let's talk about the opening. Is this what you guys expected? Priscilla? I didn't. Well, okay. I, I think I, I think Jeffrey should have gone first because, like, I've read it. So I know. Well, if you want happen. to volunteer to let Jeff go first, by all means. Sure. Jeff can go first. Oh, that's me. Okay. I was surprised, but not, about how the episode started. So, like, all the stuff with the Corinthian and Rose, all of that made sense. And, uh, you know, I, I believed the Corinthian because, like I said in the previous podcast, like, I knew he was not interested in hurting her because he needs her to do what he wants to do. When we got to the convention and he did his speech, his speech was actually really good, which I was surprised because, you know, he, he, he himself said that he doesn't really speak publicly about this kind of stuff and whatever, whatever and all that kind of stuff. So I wasn't sure what he was going to say to them. 
but basically he was like, you know, you need to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And, uh, you know, you're all out there doing the good work. And, uh, you know, you have to sort of, you know, make all of this come true and all this kind of stuff. Like it was, it was very inspirational if you're looking for that kind of stuff, if you're into cereal, not the breakfast uh, dish. Um, I see what you did there. Yes. And so when Dream showed up, that surprised me, but it didn't because I felt like the Corinthian was trying to lure Dream out to do what he wanted to do. Like, I felt like the Corinthian didn't want to wait until Dream sort of like struck. He wanted to sort of strike first. And so that wasn't surprising. It was sort of surprising because in my mind I was like, okay, so I guess as he's talking to these people, he must be putting them in a trance slash putting them to sleep to lure in Dream. So that's, I guess, exactly what happened. Dream showed up, and then when he explained that because uh, Rose's powers were increasing as the Vortex, so that must mean that Dream's powers are weakening when he got stabbed in the hand, because he didn't see that coming. Dream did not see that coming. Corinthian knew that was coming. Like, all of that was, um, was wonderful. You know, because I was like, okay, we're actually seeing Dream, you know, experience weakness. Like, we had seen him weak at the start of the series, but that's because he didn't have his doodads. And uh, he was still powerful, but, you know, the doodads, you know, uh, allowed him to, to be at sort of peak performance. He was like OP. Now he's not OP. Like, he is incredibly weak. And uh, that was like a nice little moment for the Corinthian. Because at least at that point, he was like, all right, I got him. Did he? Stay tuned. It'll resume after these messages. (laughs) Right. So, Priscilla, I will throw you a different question. Did this live up to your expectations, the beginning of this confrontation? Not the result, but just this initial part. I thought the charisma behind the the speech beforehand was so good. You're right. Like, this actor portraying the Corinthian is doing a fantastic job of just kind of, like, being charismatic and funny and personable. Exactly what you would expect someone who's like kind of like Ted Bundy in that they look like they're okay. They look like they're a good guy. But then, like, on the, on the dime, they're serial killers. So when he's talking to all these serial killers and kind of like having a Ted talk with them and inspiring them and lulling them into like this sense of repose. So dream can come out. Like I kind of forgot that they were going to have a confrontation and I was just kind of like, dang, this guy's good. And I was there like just zombified listening too. So when dream comes and he's like, all right, enough of this shit show. I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm ending this. And he's like, really? With what power? And he stabs him in the hand. That was epic. I was like, I was amazed. I was like, you know how this story plays out, but you want to see it play out better than the images. And this in motion picture, like with 
Dream holding his hand up like he's gonna take him out and then being completely destroyed and his eyes being like, oh, I'm mortal. How? Like, perfect. Like, I wish the only thing that would have made it better would have been Desire cackling in the background or something. Like, <laughs> Just no. some Desire. <laughs> I agree with both of you. I, this was a really, really powerful scene. And when you think about it, it was very subtle for how powerful it was. We didn't really have any special effects other than, like, the hand wound. You know, the, it was the actors having a dialogue and building to a crescendo. And I really, really was thrown back to, like, Nightmare and Elm Street, but the roles are reversed where, like, the person that's coming in dreams is the good guy and the 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 victim is the bad guy. Like, it gave me Freddy Krueger kind of vibes almost, where they, you know, anytime they've, like, summoned Freddy and try to go at him or whatever... But I also, like, I knew where it was going, but at the same time, like, I was like you, Priscilla, I was lulled in by the execution of the scene in media. Like, it was beautiful. And I think my absolute favorite was, like, I almost wanted the Corinthian to get up there and be a fucking horrible public speaker. <laughs> because this entire season, he's been so charismatic, and I wanted to see him have, like, one area where he's just not savoir-faire. He's not charismatic. But even, you know, that would have been funny. But he did give such a great speech to the crowd and then to Morpheus, like before their little battle began, like for the denouement of the two of these people who have been dancing around each other all season, this was such a subtle but powerful confrontation. And then when it reached its crescendo and like they go at it, it was really, really phenomenal. And speaking of which, they take the battle into the realm of dreams because the Corinthian, this is his Venus flytrap. This is where he wanted to get Morpheus. Rose is upstairs sleeping with Jed, and she's bringing down the walls of dreams so that all of the serial killers are creating one open, like, hostile, like, saw-like room of kill dens that are linked together, and they're not separated. And so Morpheus and the Corinthian are with Rose in this, like, nightmare land of all the serial killers. We've got Nimrod, the good doctor... You know, it's it's not somewhere I would want to be, even as much as I love horror, like hell to the no. And thus begins the devil and the angel on Rose's shoulder, and they're trying to convince her to come to their side. And, you know, the Corinthian is like, tear down Dream and build it anew with you at the center and destroy him. And Dream is like, no, no, let me kill you because, well, he doesn't say that, but let me be the winner because otherwise... The world is going to be destroyed if dreaming collapses. And Rose is getting tired of being silly putty in the hands of these two tugging on her. And so she basically says, you know what? I'm going to find my own way to fix this shit. And she puts up the walls again. So Rose has come into her power enough to actively rebuild the walls between dreams, which really kind of upsets the Corinthian because he realizes that his plan has failed. Rose goes back to wake up with Jed the Corinthian and Dream are on the stage again, and Dream turns the Corinthian to dust, leaving nothing but a tiny little skull. But I want to pinpoint one very important moment that all of us had asked for this entire season. We get to see the Corinthian take his glasses off, and we get full view. And Priscilla, I don't know about you, but I cheered because they did do the teeth in his eyes. Yeah, I was happy? I was down for that. I I I loved the design of it. It's just it's I I want to know what Jeffrey thought because I was just kind of like taken aback, and I've seen the 
cover art where it's more detailed of the jaws in his eyes. And I wanted to know whether Jeffrey thought that that was what was underneath there. Jeff, what do you think? Well, number one, I was happy. I was happy that we got to see him without the glasses. I thought the visual was really impressive just because it looked so strange. Like, it was really, really, really neat. Uh, You know, it's just, you know, his eyes are a black void with teeth, which means that he was eating the eyes. I mean, we would hear the type of noise, but we had no idea what was going on, or at least I didn't. And uh, to see that, I guess, his his eye teeth were, like, chewing the eyes, that was uh, really fascinating to watch. The visuals were just really neat, you know. I mean, we've seen, like, him being Dream, like, disintegrating people into sand before, but there was something about this one that just was, like, extra razzle-dazzle that I thought was really neat, uh, since I'm already talking, I want to rewind and talk about the whole uh, nightmare hostile dream world. That was fascinating visually. Like I was saying in the previous podcast, I wasn't really worried about Rose and Jed in the previous episode. You know, even with all the serial killers around, I was worried for them in that dream world with those serial killers living their best life and then surrounding them, much like Priscilla said, they were surrounding the non-serial killer in the previous episode, like hyenas. They were surrounding Jed and Rose like hyenas, and I was very, very worried for, for them. When Rose sort of exhibited her powers, I was like, all right, you can do it. I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't know what your plan is. But you're doing stuff. I am impressed. So all of this was just visually really neat to watch. Um, And I can't go on any further because we haven't gone on any further. But uh, all of it was just incredibly fascinating. And also props to the Corinthian as the actor. You know, the conversation that they had in regards to who the Corinthian is, what he was trying to do... A lot of the themes, even though he was doing it in a very twisted and demented kind of way, it harkens back to what we've heard in the past, you know, from uh, from our, our homegirl from, you know, a couple of episodes ago, uh, Galt. Galt. Like, you know, these dreams, you know, they, they want to, or, well, let me, let me rephrase. These dreams and nightmares, you know, over the course of now 100 plus years when Dream was held captive, you know, when they got a taste of the world, they got the chance to live. They got the chance to do something they never thought they'd ever do before. They were probably incredibly complacent and and perfectly fine with their way of life pre Sandman being held captive, but once they got a taste of the world, they just wanted a taste of what the humans were feeling like, and it awakened a change in them, and I thought the Corinthian expressed that beautifully, because change 
and adaptation and metamorphosis is a theme that we've been seeing everyone around Dream sort of expressing. But Dream, even though he did evolve a little bit, he regressed character-wise. So it's like he doesn't want to accept the change. But everyone around him is talking about change and metamorphosis and that sort of thing. So the fact that they brought a little bit of that theme with what the Corinthian was saying about, you know, through his killing, you know, as kind of uh, strange as it sounds, he was finding what it was like to be human and, and in a strange way. You know, he he was <laughs> killing people to feel human. I mean, it was still an interesting dialogue. That was a beautiful, beautiful statement. I love it. Thank you. I try. So, you know, I I, I watched this and I, I really felt bad for the Corinthian. Like, I never thought that I would, even in the comics, like, I didn't feel bad for him. But, like, in this moment, this little soliloquy that he gave and, you know, before he was disintegrated and all of that, there was this, like, switch that happened where I feel like we finally got to see him. We got him with the glasses off. We got to see him with no armor up, you know. And yeah, he did some shady, nasty shit, but it's like you said, Jeff. These dreams had been living under an ironclad Morpheus. Like, he was very almost tyrannical in the way that he ran the dream world. And his imprisonment gave them a chance to really kind of, you know, oh, like, I can do this and I'm not going to get sent to darkness for 10,000 years. Like, I'm going to go to the human world. I'm going to go have some fun. I'm going to think outside the box. And it, it was a very heartfelt culmination of all the various dreams that we had seen and nightmares throughout the season expressing this desire to, like, break down the Berlin Wall of the dream world and go do what they want to do and not be pigeonholed into these, like, cookie-cutter personalities or functions. Just like with The Endless, when Death told Dream that, like, we don't exist to have reason. We exist because they believe in us or because you know, we don't need to have a purpose. Our purpose is them. And so we've seen all these changes and all these breaking down of walls. And it was really a great culmination of all of that in this confrontation between those two. Um, I really enjoyed it. Also, I wonder if the Corinthian is like the life of the party at threesomes. I had to, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Really? I mean, you know, there are people out there. I did that for the listeners who have dirty fifth grader minds like me. Yes. (laughs) See, I have a dirty fifth grader mind. I didn't even think of that until you said it. (laughs) Oh, so there's one other comeuppance that needed to happen. Yes. The serial killers at the serial convention You know, during this entire confrontation, they've just been kind of sitting there. And after uncreating the Corinthian, Morpheus looks at them and he says, you assholes, I'm giving you what you deserve. And he tells them how they've been living in this dream where, like, they're the victims and they're they're doing good or they have their machinations that, like, make them justified in what they do. But he flips the tables and he makes them feel all of the pain and the grief and the anguish of their victims and the victims' families and it, it's like a reverse Care Bear stare, and it, it just it makes them suddenly all feel the weight of their actions. And we get to see the serial killers wake up and start stumbling out of the convention zombie-like, and some of them are blowing their brains out in the car. The good doctor calls 911 to report herself, 
and there's just all sorts of nastiness coming to pay the piper. And so our serial killer convention probably will not have a returning function the following year. And they get what they deserve. They, they all get to face the music. And Rose and Jed, while this is happening, they walk out amongst the zombified serial killers. And amidst the come to Jesus moment for them, they get to drive away safe and sound and on their way back to Florida and Morpheus is there with Matthew, and Matthew is like, aren't you worried about her? And Morpheus is like, no, she's awake. I will find her when she falls asleep, and we'll deal with this. And on the car ride, Rose gets a phone call from Lyda, who's now going into labor, and we get to go to the hospital, and we get to see the, well, we don't get to see the birth, but we get to see all of the roommates and all of this eventually. But in the meantime, before we get to the hospital, Rose goes into her dreams, and she falls asleep, and it is like before, where she walks into Hal's dream, and Hal is watching a performance of himself and his drag self, and they've, like, come to terms with each other, and they're performing together, and it's beautiful. But one by one, the dreams of her housemates start to merge together. We get Barbie and her, like, furry walrus friend. We get Chantal and Zelda Ken getting a blowjob in a car and he's caught by Barbie because their dreams are together now and the world is just going batshit crazy in, in the dreaming and this is bad. This is like really bad, right? So all of them are inv invaded. They end up together and then one by one they all get sucked into a strange vortex. Morpheus shows up and warns Rose that not all is lost. It's still early enough that he can save everyone if she lets him kill her. This is like the, the culmination of Rose's journey. Shit's about to hit the fan. Lyda's gone into labor, had the baby, and thankfully there was no memory of the dream invasion. And Lyda had told Rose, hey, you can destroy him. You don't have to do this. You can find your own way. But it didn't work. And she's confronted with Morpheus, and she's kind of beginning to understand. He's going to have to do this. He's going to have to kill me. So... Now that we're reaching this point where we're about to find out what happens, how did we feel? I'll just open it up to either of you if you want to comment. How did we feel? Were we really worried for Rose? Yes, I was. I was worried for Rose. Uh, I thought all of the dream stuff was interesting because I, I, I didn't know we were going to see like the dreams merging in the way that it was merging because it, it turned um, violent, for lack of a better word. Like I thought for whatever reason, like I thought we were going to see them all kind of having happy dreams. And that was like roses, you know, maybe unconsciously like controlling the dreaming, but it went from zero to like 10,000, like really, really fast. Uh, so that was fascinating to watch the CGI. I thought was good for a TV series, you know, how they sort of expressed the vortex in the dreaming. Number one also, let me rewind and say that I'm glad that Lyda's child was fine and healthy and all that kind of stuff. Because, right. you know, when you have a baby in the dream world, you really have no, have no idea what you're going to get in the actual real world. So that it, so the fact that it looked like a child, you know, with ten fingers, ten toes, that was really nice. Also the fact that everyone from the home, um, minus Gilbert, 
were there to support, you know, this little makeshift family that they created. That was really neat to see as well. So, yeah, when when everybody started getting sucked up into it, and then poor Jed with this, his superhero garb, I was like, are they dying? Like, what the hell is going on? Right. Now, Priscilla, we kind of knew this was coming. Did this live up to your expectations? It surpassed my expectations because Ooh. I was, like, again, you've seen the comics, you've seen frozen images, and you have your heart attached and set on, like, this is what it is in your head. But when you see it and you see, like, how dreamlike everything is, but how visceral it feels to lose your friends, to lose your friends, the only family you have, Ted, in the cutest little outfit. Like, everybody's dying. And, like, you feel that feeling in the dream in dreams. I don't know if you both have ever had that. Where you have your loved ones die. Yeah. And it hurts. Like, it hurts a soft part of your heart that, like, can't really be protected. So, the fact that they captured that so well as the vortex is, like, spinning is just... Beyond me, I I don't care what you say about CGI being like lame or something like that. Like that was just some, that was some good shit that made me believe what I was watching. And I didn't get to say anything, but like before when the Corinthian died, like that was also like I felt bad because this is a person who was made to for a specific function. It's not his fault that like he follows it that he is a good killer and that he wants to live the way Fiddler's Green said, like he wants to live as a human. He wants to enact his purpose. So to be punished for that, it brings me back to Galt all over again, where it's, it's not their fault for dreaming. Everybody dreams. I'm sorry, Priscilla. I got swept up in the vortex and I forgot to give you a chance to talk on the Corinthian. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> And, uh, well, you know, the spoiler is out. We might as well just go to it. So Gilbert, while all this was happening, we find out what he had done. He went home to the Dreaming because we find out, big surprise, I don't know about you, but I was so shocked. Gilbert is Fiddler's Green, the third missing nightmare that we had not known where he was. I mean, I feel like if you didn't realize it, you might need to go back and rewatch and see how obvious it was. (laughs) But we had a moment with Morpheus and Lucienne, and she reveals that Fiddler's Green came home to tell them about the Corinthian. And so it was established that he was Fiddler's Green. And so this was kind of what sent Morpheus to the convention originally. And that is my bad because I have that on my write-up, and I skipped over that sentence because I was so excited to talk about the Corinthian. But hey, you know what? We're in a vortex. Things sometimes go wonky. (laughs) So... This segues into the confrontation between Rose and Morpheus because the shit has hit the fan. We are at the center of the vortex. It is all going bad for Rose. She's shimmery. She's iridescent. She's becoming the massive power conduit. Dream is falling apart. They're in a very barren white wasteland. But who shows up but Gilbert? And Gilbert shows up and he is trying to figure out if there's another way. And clearly there isn't. And Morpheus lets him know, you know, it's kind of time for you to return home. And Gilbert's like, well, I never really wanted to leave. And he sadly looks at Rose 
And he's like, I hope if you die that after you die, because you'll be able to stay in the dreaming, you'll come and sit under my trees and in my shade. And we're given a little breadcrumb of hope that even though she might die, Rose can choose to be reincarnated in the dreaming as something. And so that's a little bit of kernel of positivity. Maybe she can become a little lark and like go fly through Fiddler's Green's bushes and trees and sit in his branches. So Fiddler's Green, and this is one of the moments that I personally was really worried about how it was going to look on the screen as opposed to, they did an amazing job. I agree with you, Priscilla, on the vortex, but when Fiddler's Green like dissolved himself and became leaves and butterflies and the white wasteland turned back into a verdant tundra of beauty, it was absolutely gorgeous. I want to go live there now. <laughs> Just a quick side note, what did you guys think of what he what he became? I was like impressed again, like it it truly brings about like the feeling of the word lush. Like everything looks like paradise. Like what you see in like those religious tracks of people who say like paradise is coming. Like that it just it looks beautiful, like a dream. And side note, but I really appreciate the fact that um I don't know if you remember in the comics, but it was kind of implied that Fiddler's Green, like, loved Rose, like, in a romantic sense. And I really appreciate that they didn't do that, because it would have come off as, like, really weird to have Stephen Fry, like, love, like, somebody that looks kind of like a little girl. So the fact that he, they they looked more like compatriots, like friends. And I I, I like that. I agree. It was very almost much like a father figure to her or like or more like a grandfather. Like he was protective and he cared and he was really like just more friends. I, I was glad too. Jeff, what did you think of the uh, verdant paradise? Well, after you insulted me by saying I didn't figure out Fiddler's Green with Gilbert, <laughs> I don't really know if I should say anything because I was sort of surprised, not really, but still pleasantly surprised like, it made sense when it was revealed. Um, so, like, all of, like, the conversation that was being held in the car uh, in the previous episode about wanting to explore the world, it basically fit into the theme that we've heard of, you know, throughout, as I said, you know, with the Corinthian, you know, these past couple of episodes with dreams and nightmares, you know, experiencing the human world, like all of it ended up making sense, even though it was still like wonderfully, magically surprising when it happened. And I co-sign everything about the visuals. It was just beautiful. So are you saying that I threw shade at you from Fiddler's Green? You did uh, under that (laughs) big, beautiful canopy of uh, greenery. And that was totally inadvertent because I swear to God that we'd already ruined that last time. (laughs) Oh, no, I accidentally mentioned it, but then I backtracked. Okay, okay. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. It was absolutely beautiful, and I'm glad that it executed so well. This episode had some of the most CGI that we have had throughout the entire season, and they did such a great job. And Mm -hmm. so we have Morpheus and... Wait, just one little sort of button pin to add to that because clearly I, I mean i have to believe that the majority of the stuff in the dreaming is really just on a sound stage so the fact that the cgi has been so good that it makes the landscapes that they're on incredibly believable 
uh, props to the CGI people. You know, this is a TV show. It is yeah. Netflix. So they do have a little bit more money than some of like the other streaming services and that sort of thing. I mean, just look at what they can do with stranger things and that kind of stuff. But the fact that all of like the landscape in the dreaming, especially when they're doing like the close up stuff, you know, sometimes when they like pan out, you know, it can look a little animated later on when we visit another place. I was like, Oh look, it's a cartoon. It's Minecraft. But um, but this looked really beautiful. It definitely did. Like it was like, did we suddenly end up in New Zealand? Like right. <laughs> so we won't hold the discussion at bay any longer. Let's talk about Rose's fate. Her fate is tied to being the dream vortex, and at this point, she has given in. She has acknowledged there's no hope. I know what you need to do. Just do it. But hold on a second, because we're gonna pause right here. Because we have another key player that comes into play with a little, little side story of her own. And that is none other than Miss Unity Kincaid, the great-grandmother of her Vortex, who earlier in the episode gets a very ominous phone call from Rose saying, Hey, like if I go to sleep and I don't wake up tonight, will you take care of Jed and let him come live with you? And she's like, Honey, I was going to have both of you come live with me. You're my family. And so we see Unity go to sleep. And she does something that Rose did episodes earlier. And she finds herself in the library of the dreaming. And she meets Lucienne and they have a nice little conversation because she's looking for the book about the life that she could have led. And Lucienne's, I don't think we have that here. We just kind of have what happened. And Unity's like, no, if you have all the books in the world, the life that I could have led should be here. And then she finds her actual book. And Lucienne's like, oh, my God, OMFG, you're Unity Kincaid. And she's like, well, yes, I am. You know my granddaughter. And back to Rose and Morpheus. He's about to kill her. He's starting to suck her up. And Lucienne shows up with Unity and tells Morpheus to stop. And Unity approaches and says, look, when you got kidnapped and imprisoned, I was originally supposed to be the vortex of this generation, but everything got fucked. And because of that, I got the sleeping sickness and my great granddaughter became the vortex in my stead. And the burden that was mine was passed onto hers. All of this never should have been Rose's doing. She never should have had to deal with this. I want to take her place. And she goes to Rose and says, Rose, dig deep in yourself and find the thing that makes you the dream vortex and bring it out and give it to me. And there's a funny little moment where Rose says, how in the world would I do that? And Unity's like, girl, you're in the dreams. Anything is possible. And so Rose reaches inside of herself right in the chest, and she pulls out a beautiful crystal heart that's black and very gothy with, like, red lightning inside of it. And Unity takes the heartstone from Rose and crushes it, and this allows her to be the dream vortex that needs to die to stop the disaster from happening. And we get a beautiful moment with Unity and Rose as Unity passes away. And she tells Rose, Mr. Holdaway will take care of you. And during this moment, too, we also get a realization. Morpheus finally gets to hear that the father of Unity's child had golden eyes. And he realizes desire has been behind a lot of shit. He's not very pleased 
But he points out that this makes Rose and Jed descendants of the Endless. And he tells them, you were children of the Endless. You're free to go back to the world. And the dream dissolves. And Rose and Jed go back into the world. They're free. They're able to live their life and do their stuff. And we have the end as the vortex dissolves and everything is kosher. And we're going to talk about the ending 10 minutes or so, but let's just take a break here. Now that we know what happened to Rose, we've seen it happen. Priscilla, did this affect you more so than it did when you read the comics? Yes. Like I was, I completely forgot about the man with the golden eyes. And I was like, Dream has to kill her. She has to end up like in dream heaven the way he's kind of like implying for her. But when Unity comes out and she's like, I'm looking for the book of my life. And she saves the day with the saying that she was supposed to be the vortex and that because the dream, she can take the vortex powers. Like, I don't know. It was almost like a magical girl moment when she pulls out the the black heart crystal from inside of her, like sailor dream. It's true. It's so, Oh, it's just awesome. And I felt bad for unity because she never got to live her life. And then when she finally gets hope, it's crushed because she has to save her family's life. Like in it's, it's very noble and it's very like the, the best gift you can give your grandchild is life but it's tragic and all of this episode is just tragic for everyone jesus like the hits just keep coming yeah and girl was making plans too like unity was all gonna move to london and like get a place and like have a place with jed and you know the the sad point for me was jed never got to meet unity jeff how did that make you feel Yeah, that was sad. Unity was just wonderful in this episode, though. Like, she was just, you know, the the sacrifice for family. You know, even family that she doesn't know all that well, I thought was just beautifully expressed. You know, her, her story is a sad one, if you think about it. You know, being asleep all that time and, uh, you know really not being able to to get the chance to live life. And then once she finds family, unfortunately, her life is cut short. I am glad that she got the chance to meet Rose, you know, and, and the fact that Rose will forever be taken care of as well as Jed, you know, not just because of, uh, of Unity's whole lot of money, but because uh, they are children of the endless, you know, I think that does give uh, both Rose and Jed a bit of a happy ending, even though there is a lot of tragedy in this episode. I also want to make a little course correction because um, I was surprised by the Fiddler's uh, Greens uh, reveal. Fiddler's Greens? Fiddler's Grove? What the hell is it? Fiddler's Green. Okay. I was surprised by the Fiddler's Greens reveal, but I'm just now remembering that was in the previous episode that I don't think we discussed, but it's okay. You know, these last two episodes, like, obviously, you know, they did I have bleed a into each other because it was like one <laughs> continuing narrative. But, uh, but, but yeah, I yes. just wanted to correct just in case because of, it. no, well, because it's going to make me sound really, really dumb because I'm like, how did I just figure it out <laughs> this episode when we saw it in the previous episode? No, but when we saw it in the previous episode, when he sort of walked into the scene, I was like, Ooh, 
Fiddler's Greens. I was like, all right, bring it on, man. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so go ahead. No, but back to this. So, so it was an emotional scene. It was beautiful. Like the heart crystal was really, really neat. And uh, it, like the whole line from Unity, like this is a dream. Like you know, just make it happen. <laughs> you know, whatever you feel inside, that's the vortex. Pull it out, and I will take that burden from you. I, I mean, just beautiful. Like very, very tragic as well. Because I, I would wanted, I would have wanted to um, have seen Unity have met Jed. You know, that, that's sort of like where we started this conversation. Like, I wish she would have, but you know, maybe yeah. she still be will be there in a dream. Yeah. So let's get to the confrontation that I know I have been waiting for ever since we found out that Desire was pulling some strings. So we see dreaming. It's back to beautiful. Everything is glorious and verdant. All is right. And Morpheus goes to his version of the room that we saw earlier in Desire's area, where he picks up a, a sigil. And listeners, if you've never read the comics, we saw this with Desire earlier and now with Dream. This is how the Endless speak to each other. They can pick these items up and call out to their sibling and ask if they can come to their realm, which he does. And Desire says, oh, my darling brother, you know you're always welcome in my realm. And so he shows up, and they have a very, very endless interaction. It's very, like, political. They're talking and politely speaking to each other, but it just begins escalating. And Morpheus finally confronts her and says, you tried to make me spill family blood, and that causes a lot of problems. Don't make me do it again, and don't interfere with my business. And he actually goes up and grabs Desire by the hand, which I think they kind of liked, and says, do you really think that you could defeat us, me, death, etc.? And we see Desire kind of quiver in a, like, I like it, but also I'm very scared kind of way, and they say no. And But you're my Morpheus, stepbrother. You're my stepbrother. <laughs> Morpheus starts to walk away, leaving his threat, don't ever interfere again, and as he's out of hearing, Desire says... Hmm, they really got under your skin this time. Next time I'll draw blood. And that's all we're going to get this time around for Desire's comeuppance. Morpheus has exercised restraint. He's issued a verdict and a demand. And we will have to wait and see if we get another season, if this comes to anything. But enough tragedy. Let's talk about happy things. Very happy things. Rose, after her adventures in Dreamland... The vortex of it all, she has published a book, which appeared in the Dreaming Library, and Lucianne tells Morpheus about it, and he's on the beach creating a new dream, and he's like, how is the book? And Lucianne says, it's really, really good, but I think you might have a problem with how she portrays the king. And he kind of laughs and smiles, and we have a really great moment that was kind of something that we were all kind of hoping for. There's been this back and forth with Lucienne and Morpheus after he came back from being imprisoned, and he really didn't appreciate her, but he was starting to, but he kept backtracking. But there's this great moment where Morpheus says, I'm going to be here a while. Do you think you could take care of things for me? And Lucienne says, of course, my lord. But before she leaves, he's kind of hinted that he's recreating something. She asks him about creating a new Corinthian. He says, not yet, but I think you'll want to stick around for what I'm working on right now. And we get to see the finishing touches as Dream has rebuilt Galt. He has 
brought her out of the darkness and he has created her as a dream. And Dream Galt has wings. She is now the Winx version of her son. I'm kidding. She, <laughs> she's a dream. She's a fairy. She's. Thank you for getting that. <laughs> we get a great moment with Galt and Dream. And she says, what made you change my, your mind, my lord? And he just kind of smiles. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, things needed to change. And, you know, Galt is so happy. She flies away to start doing dreamy things and he's granted her wish. He's taking control of his realm again. It's a new age of dreams and nightmares because balance has come back. He's happy and content as he watches Galt fly away and the screen turns black. Welcome back to hell, my friends. Did you miss Lucifer? Because it wouldn't have been a good end of season if we didn't at least get a little bit. We see Mazikeen walking into Lucifer's chambers, and Lucifer is in a very, very svelte bathrobe, morning robe, hell robe, pondering over hell from their balcony. And Mazikeen points out that Azazel has come to visit, and would Lucifer like to talk to them? And Lucifer says, no, I would rather not. But Azazel, being Azazel, did not, or Azazel, whatever it is, did not wait and shows up and is there. And Lucifer comments, oh, so like you just to come in unannounced. And he did this because the armies of hell have united. They have come together under one banner to support Lucifer because of what Dream did. And they wish to invade the Dreaming and then perhaps the waking world. And the generals want action. And Lucifer very coyly says, hmm, I think I will act. And I'm going to do something that will make God absolutely livid and bring Morpheus to his knees. Dun, dun, dun. But too bad we don't get to find out because that's the end of season one. We have to wake up from the dream and we have to wait anxiously. But in the meantime, Jeff, what do you think Lucifer's plan is and how did you like the ending? I enjoyed the happy ending. I'm glad uh, Rose and Jed uh, et al. were fine at the end of it all. Um, the idea of her going to England made sense when Unity was alive. So the fact that they just moved sort of back home and uh, are living their life together, I think that's really beautiful, you know, because this sort of makeshift family is surrounding her because Hal ended up moving to New York and it seems like he's made a connection with their friend. And, and then we had left Florida with uh, the twins taking on the boarding house. So everyone is kind of living their dream. So to put a button on this, I don't know if we're ever going to see any of these characters again. So if we are putting a big button on this, I'm glad it's like a, a really nice ending for them. Then Dream and Lucienne kind of get a bit of a, a nice happy ending to put a cap on the season. I love that Galt is back as a dream. Uh, the little conversation that they had about like what made you change your mind, I thought was beautiful just to show us Dream's character development. And the conversations that he's had with Lucienne from the previous episode and this episode that have kind of allowed his evolution to seem natural and to allow their sort of newfound 
working relationship to seem natural was really nice as well. It was all believable. It all made sense. It just showed us that Dream has been inspired by the change around him. So all of that was really beautiful to see expressed. Then we go into the world of Minecraft. Okay. Well, no, actually, no, 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 no. I did not talk about Desire. The Desire situation, I don't like you, bitch. Like, I just, I really don't. Like, I want to see your comeuppance so bad, and, and I want you to suffer. So, I, I just, I don't like you. I'm not rooting for you. You are horrible. And I, I like, I want everything that you desire to be snatched away. So, um, yeah, that's my opinion on desire. Lucifer. Because I felt like Lucifer was like a big, badass baller in hell. The way that I read it was Lucifer is not fully in power. Like, these generals want to go to war to expand the boundaries of hell. And the way that I was reading Lucifer, Lucifer did not really seem like they were interested in doing that. So it almost seems like Lucifer is being forced to do it. But now that they're being forced to do it... Lucifer's like, well, let me take advantage of this and let me just do something wretched. Lucifer has the desire to do something horrible. Uh, I don't really know what that's going to look like outside of is it just a war between hell and the dreaming? Um, so I guess we're going to have to stay tuned because clearly that will be the major arc for the next season if we do get another season. But uh, it should be interesting. Indeed. Priscilla, you knew all of it. We've read it. Well, what are your thoughts? And I know you know what Lucifer's plan is, so I want you to pretend that you don't know. <laughs> and I want you to hypothesize or venture, knowing what's going to happen, I want you to take a shot at what you would change and what come up with a plan that you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I want you to suspend your knowledge and play dumb. (laughs) Sure. I'm just going to say that even if I was playing dumb, like, I've read the Lucifer comics. So part of me is like, are they going to go that route? Are they going to go? Are they going to go into maybe starting off the war that ends all wars? The whole revelations thing that's another thing that i was thinking of or are they going to is she actually going to listen to as which by the way i hated how they portrayed as i know yes. that's what he looks like but he looks like an anime like flatness like he doesn't look real like it i don't know i hated that that's the only cgi bit that i couldn't stand it just it looked weird but, it did um, look strange yes I I appreciated seeing Lucifer again. I I like how Jeffrey posited that maybe Lucifer doesn't have all control of all the reigns in hell because as though he, he he's just he's pecking at Lucifer being like, hey, go get giving like a treat, being like, hey, go get um all of this land so we can rule more of hell since you can't leave it. But I'm thinking about it. 
for from Lucifer's perspective, and she knows that she's that that she's controlling demons and that they're double crossing little bitches. So she like I think that she's her plan for the future isn't going to be exactly what Azel is promising for her. It's going to be something completely different. Mm-hmm. And can I and, also just say? Oh, sorry, Priscilla. I, I want to interrupt. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Also, I just wanted to say, Desire. I love Desire. Oh, I hate Desire. <laughs> when Desire got his oh. hair pulled and got their hair pulled, and they were like, "Yes, I like this. Like, give me more, Daddy." Like, I was oh. like, "Damn, I love it." He's so. Oh, they're such little bitches. Just on that desire note really quick, Jeff, and then you can go. I actually watched an interview with Tom Sturridge and James Madison Park, who played Desire. As is wont with many of these types of productions, those two actors did not really know each other beforehand, before they had to act together. And they kind of had to develop their bond and chemistry while acting. And I think they did a bang up fucking job. Oh, I agree. I just don't like Desire. Desire's a little bitch. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, well, yeah, but which is exactly what Desire is supposed to be, so that's why I can't wait to see their comeuppance. But the one thing that I wanted to say is, okay, so I have not seen the Lucifer TV series. I understand shock and awe. Where have I been? I should binge it right now. It's on my list, I promise. But from what I have seen with little clips and that sort of thing... I've always seen the Lucifer on that show to be, you know, maybe a little pompous and that sort of thing, but to be incredibly still charismatic. And this is, that Lucifer is supposed to be the same Lucifer that we're seeing here. Clearly, this is a different interpretation. And this is no diss to Gwendolyn Christie. I promise. Uh, You know, maybe she's just choosing to play this Lucifer a little different, but I don't really see all that, like, real charisma coming off. Like, I didn't really even see it in the episode in which we had Dream interacting with Lucifer. Like, this Lucifer is very cold. And uh, I'm wondering from both of you, since both of you are a little bit more comic book knowledgeable, what interpretation is the, like, the comic book Lucifer? Is it more Tom Ellis from the TV series Lucifer? Or is it more so how Gwendolyn Christie is portraying their interpretation of Lucifer? So it's- Funny that you ask that. Um, listeners, just FYI, if you don't want to know spoilers from the comics, you might want to fast forward like two or three minutes. Um, well, I don't want to know spoilers about what's going to happen. But... Well, no. But okay. It, it kind of, to answer your question, we have to touch on it just slightly. I'm going to say it's, a, for me, in my memory, it's a mixture of both, and there's a okay. reason for that. Oh, okay. All right. Priscilla? That's all I need to know. Ah, that was a good answer because, like, I don't want to give any spoilers to... Right. Well, then I, I don't want another reason, but as long as I know that there's a reason for that, I'm good. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you after the recording, Jeff. Oh, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Satan is really a smurf. Oh, what I believe that. never see season two? What if we never get a season two? Cause I really hope we do. Well, no, then I'll ask. Uh, I promise. You will get a late night Facebook message asking many questions. Okay. So what I will say is that the Lucifer, to defend the Lucifer that we're seeing, the observation about Lucifer not being in full control of hell is absolutely spot on. They've been doing this for however many thousands of millennia, and it's very frustrating trying to control a feudal nation and bring all of these sublords together. 
because Lucifer has this great kingdom, but unless all of the demons want the same thing, Lucifer can't do shit. And so, because he's, you know, they're imprisoned. And so what we're seeing, this coldness is the frustration and the boredom of the same old cycle, monotonous over and over again of feuds between the demon lords. And so for the demon lords to actually come together and want to do something is a first. And so that's why we finally got to see a little bit of happiness come off of Lucifer at the end. The charisma isn't there because they're very frustrated and bored and tired of their lot in life, and they want something different. And this is going to hopefully give them the opportunity to leave hell and do new things. Would you agree, Priscilla? Yup. Like, if you've seen the Lucifer um, series, you kind of have a hint as to what's going to happen. That's all I'm going to say. So. (laughs) All right. So before we get into MVP, I want to revisit a question that I asked a few recordings ago, and I want to see if your opinions have changed. So Priscilla, your most memorable moment from the entire season is it the same or is there a new one i think my most memorable moment is probably um now unity's sacrifice for rose because i've like for me the things that get me the most are like family bonding and family unity like and to have someone who's never had a family just sacrifice everything for family that she just got even though like she doesn't know her from adam like she they 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 haven't known each other for that long but the fact that she gave up everything for her it's just it touches my heart that's that's mm-hmm. beautiful jeff what about you i hate to do it but you didn't say the rules so um i'm gonna do okay. it it's the same moment, 100%. It was just such a beautiful, magical, wonderful, heartwarming moment. And and if for some reason, in the back of your mind, you're like, he's cheating. If I had to pick another moment, um, it's also from this episode. If It's Galt's reemergence as a dream. Because that sort of uh, moment evokes similar feelings for me you know it's beautiful it's magical it's heartwarming yeah it's just another really great moment from this series you're crazy (laughs) i didn't know he's not moment but i was exactly like so they stuck wings on her and she's (laughs) they didn't do anything to her like she still looks kind of creepy well she doesn't look creepy she's like cosmic-y well, she never looked scary to begin with. That was my thing. Like, she always kind of looked, like, iridescent, like a pearl. And, like, she wasn't scary to me. Mm. But uh, to clarify, Jeff, I love that you pointed out that I didn't state the rules. And that was intentional. I didn't think it was fair in case you guys did want to choose the same moment. That was a specific omission, and I'm glad you picked up on it. Yes. <laughs> For my favorite moment, it has changed. But mine is now the interaction between Dream and Lucienne when he asks her to take care of things while he works. Because this was huge. All season, he kind of played a yo-yo effect with her and, like, played with her mind as to, like, what her capacity was going to be. And this was just such a great moment to kind of solidify the foundation of this new dreaming going forward. And I absolutely loved it. 
And I actually got a little teary at it because it was just so great and it was acted so well. And that supplanted my previous and is now my favorite and most memorable moment of the season. So now that we got that out of the way, it is time for the most valuable player, MVP. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once they have been chosen, these rules are not being omitted. They cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. And I'm going to make it interesting. Whichever one of you wants to go first can go first. Aww. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I could pick a lot of people this episode. So I would, I don't mind going second or third if you guys need to. I mean, I'll this go This episode is just really good. So I have a lot of people. Jeff, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Well, actually, you have not. Wait, did you? I think you did selfishly go first once. But yes. I will ignore the selfishness. You can go first. <laughs> As our fearless oh, leader. I heart you too. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's such a difficult decision. <laughs> it really is. Um, but, you know, I'm going to have to go with Unity. Because even though she wasn't really a main character, I mean, I think of her as a main character. She had the most important role of the entire season for me. You know, she was able to save Rose and give Rose and Jed the beginning of a future where even though she won't be there, her legacy will continue with them. She gave us your guys' most memorable moment that just shows the power, the exponential resonation of what she did and the impact that it had on the audience because it also affected me even though it wasn't my most memorable. Like, I cried a little bit at that. Like, there was a lot of tears in this episode. But Unity's journey was so sad and so tragic and it could have had... You know, it could have gone so badly, and in some ways that it, it it did, but I felt happy for her because she died giving to her family and saving them and giving them a lease on life that she never had. And it was just so beautiful that every time I was thinking of my MVP, she was my number one. So, yeah. She is now off the table. Priscilla, you said you don't mind going second? Okay. Thank you. Um... You actually picked my first choice because the Unity scene is my favorite scene. So, um, but as much as I could pick Rose because she was second, the second scene that like is burned into my memory is the Corinthians' charisma when he was talking to the serial killers and his utter like kind of brute force like anger when uh, Sandman was killing him. And he's like, I, j- I-, I can't wait until I see. Rose destroy your world like just so vicious and I I love it it's the personification of all those all that evil that lies within serial killers hearts then the nightmare of that darkness he's perfect for a nightmare so yeah the green thing excellent choice Jeff oh gosh because there's still so many wonderful characters to choose from I feel bad because I'm not going to pick Dream, even though I thought Dream was wonderful in this episode. And technically, because I'm doing this as a preface, it's it's almost like I'm picking two, but I'm not really. So I'm like following <laughs> with the rules. But my actual MVP is Lucienne. Just wonderful, spectacular, just amazing, heartwarming uh, the fact that she got a promotion, in a sense, like everything Lucienne was just amazing. And I'm almost like looking at her as a character, you know, throughout the entire series. Like she has just been awesome. And uh, the fact that she got her moment to shine, 
the fact that it's like coming after an apology as well. You know, can as I much of an apology. Pardon? Can I ask you a question for you? Sure. Because you were one of those people that was like, I don't trust Lucienne in the first episode. Do you trust her now? Oh, Lord. I feel like this is like preview of coming attractions. <laughs> At the moment, I trust Lucienne. I trust her. I am proud of her. She got a sort of apology, about as much of an apology that Dream can give somebody. And and now she's thriving. She's living her best life, uh, being second in command, in charge of stuff. And Priscilla is now making me question everything that I'm saying. But it's okay. My desire right now is to give uh, Lucien MVP. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> now it is time to rate this episode. How would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10 Dreamhelms? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it our coveted golden Dreamhelm. Jeff, since you ended up last by proxy for MVP, you can do the inaugural helming. All right. Uh, golden, 100% from beginning to end. Fantastic uh, finale. Everything that was introduced was wrapped up in a beautiful sort of way, but with a tease of what's to come. Everybody, acting-wise, was phenomenal. The CGI and the animation was beautiful, except for the man with the mouths. And, uh, yeah, I, well, also the, the Hell Castle kind of looked a little Minecraft for me, but, you know. I can be picky. Uh, but everything else was just amazing. I love that Rose and Jed got a happy ending. I loved seeing Dream's character development come to fruition. Spectacular. Golden, golden, golden. Woo, starting off high. I love it. Priscilla, are we continuing the golden train? Choo-choo, motherfucker, choo-choo. Golden <laughs> on the Like... This was so good. Like, it's the feeling you get after having a really good dream. And you wake up and you have the entire day ahead of you to live, like, a really good life. When you have a good morning. Like, that's how it felt. Even though there was so much tragedy in the beginning with the Corinthians' death and with Unity's death. Like, it still felt like the end of an era. A good era. and to have our titular main character dream learn something as an endless like it's exactly what death wanted for him so i don't know it's just everything's good I, the only thing that i wish for is that that little skull that little corinthian like comes back as also as a corinth as a new corinthians and i am hoping that happens if we get another season so, yeah, golden all the way. New Corinthians, isn't that actually something in the Bible? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> well played, Priscilla, well played. <laughs> I, I am, I'm going to be picking up that golden helm caboose because baby, baby, was this a golden. This was, you know, this was an episode that things could have looked really cheesy. They could have been corny and it could have ended on a note that, like, made us go, oh! 
But no, it was perfect. I I loved the culmination of all of the stories. We got happy endings. We got great surprises. We got excellent acting, heartfelt moments. But most importantly, the thing that makes this a massive golden for me is that we all know, or if you don't, you'll see it eventually. There's been talks that the show was so expensive that season two is very much up in the air and may not happen. And for me, I want it to happen. I know all three of us do. But if it didn't, and we look at this episode as a series finale of this iteration of Sandman, the first iteration in media, it gives us closure. Because the ending with Lucifer, while it does plant the seeds for future installments, it's something that could be left up to the imagination of the reader, or if they wanted to read the comics, they could go there. But we got a beginning, a middle, and an end for all the stories that happened. We're not leaving behind any plot holes, any dangling plots. Everything ended beautifully. And so, yeah, absolutely a golden for me across the board. So, yeah, I love it. Now, this is the season finale, which means we have watched all 10 episodes of the main story season, and it is time to grade the season. Now, grading follows typical school letter grades. A, B, C, D, F, pluses and minuses are allowed. However, I'm going to slightly adjust it just in case either of you are feeling especially lovey. And we're going to include a top tier kind of golden dream helm equivalent for the grade of the season. And that is going to be an S for superb. So you can grade it S, A, B, C, D, F. If you really loved it, you can go with an S. And to start, let's go with Priscilla. Aw, I'm... I'm easy because I've been an easy grader this entire time. Although, like, easy grader implies that this had flaws. And I think the lowest grade I ever gave an episode was a nine for being average and for wanting more growth. But the rest were goldens and tens. This this is an S for sure. This is beyond an A. This is really, really good television. Like, even though it had two separate arcs, like... The finding of the items and defeating John D and the Unity Kincaid Rose story, like it still managed to weave things so well and feel like a dream as you're watching it, but still like take respect to the fact that like people need to live their lives, like with the death episode and with the the Hob episode, like it's just. A great, great TV series, and I would recommend it for anyone. Like, even if you don't like fantasy, I think you'd learn something from watching Sandman. So, S for sure. Excellent. Jeff, what about you? As tempted as I am, and as uh, much of a tempter as I am with special designations, I'm going to give it a good old-fashioned A+. Uh, For all the reasons basically Priscilla said, you know, from beginning to end, incredibly entertaining, I mean, let's be real. I think we can all tell it's probably one of the most expensive series on Netflix. But if y'all bitches can make Stranger Things 25, y'all can do another Sandman. I'm just saying. You know, if you don't want to do 10 episodes, like, maybe give us five. Because I feel like those five are going to be superb. So, uh, so yeah. So, beginning to end, beautiful character arc for everyone. All of the characters were important. You know, this was a series with a ridiculous donkulously large cast, but everyone was important and everyone made a lasting 
impression. Like, I'm still worried for, for Rosemary. You know, she's got the protection amulet, so I know she's going to be fine. But, like, these characters have stuck with me. Like, these were amazing, beautifully written, incredibly fleshed out by both the writers, the actor, as well as Neil Gaiman. Like, props to everybody, because from beginning to end, this was a ridiculously entertaining series. And had it not been for us doing two episodes per week on a podcast, I would have binged it all in a weekend. So so maybe the podcasting was actually a good thing, because I could prolong this beautiful, magical, wondrous adventure for a couple weeks versus a couple hours. Right. Oh, excellent grades, excellent points. You guys covered so much of it. And I mean, I feel like I'm going to be very obvious here. And I'm going with an S. And the reason that I came up with the S was because I, I've done this podcasting for a while and we've graded shows. And A, just it, kind of like what Priscilla said, it felt like it was so much more of an A for me because I read these comics growing up. They were really instrumental in my youth and they were escapes. They gave me immersion on rainy days. And I was always so deathly afraid of when this would finally make it to the screen because you never know how it's going to go. And every single episode, I don't think I went lower than a 9.5 as my lowest, just like Priscilla said as well. It was Goldens or Tens mostly. And I was captivated from start to finish. I was enraptured. I was along for the ride. I, like Jeff said, I was engaged with all of the characters and I remember them all very vividly. And it's been such an amazing, wild, dreamy journey. And I'm sad that it's over. But Jeff, I agree with you. Doing the podcast did allow us to really enjoy it and to really think about it. And I've been so thankful to have the time to discuss these episodes the way that we did it. Because I would have binged it as well. And I probably would have ended up like moving on to something else. And it would not have had as much of an impact possibly. But uh yeah, excellent job, Netflix, and listen to Jeff. You guys can do Stranger Things. We deserve season two. We want it. Absolutely want it. We need it. And on that note, we would love to thank you all for joining us for these past 10 episodes of The Waking Dream. Here is our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions? suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night. Priscilla. Good night, everyone. Sweet dreams. Jeffrey. Good night, listeners. Sweet dreams, sweet nightmares. Whatever you do when you close your eyes late at night, just let it be wonderful. Indeed. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Join us next time for a special bonus installment of The Waking Dream. And subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com backslash archives. Good night and pleasant dreams.